today on The Word on Long Beach. If you're feeling stressed or struggling with any type of mental health, this weekend you have a way to address your mental needs and have fun at the same time. Plus, there are two very different sides of the story regarding Polly High's magnet program. Mike G and Tyler Hendrickson are here to bring us up to speed. And we'll introduce you to a member of the Long Beach Post. All that and more starts right now with The Word on Long Beach. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Word on Long Beach. I'm Jackie Ray. This is our first ever podcast, and we're going to tell you about some things you might have missed and some things that are coming up. This first one has hit a nerve for some people in the community. Um, if you guys know, Poly High Long Beach is known nationwide. If you're a sports fan like me, you know Steelers' Juju Smith-Schuster went there, and after spending a whole bunch of time with the Eagles, Deshaun Jackson also went to Poly High. He has made his way back to L.A. He's going to be playing for the Rams. But aside from sports, Poly High is known for its rigorous academics and its Grammy-winning music program. Poly Center for International Curriculum is in danger of fading away, which is a big deal for a lot of people. And joining me now are Mike G and Tyler Hendrickson. They have been covering this from day one. So let's just dive right into this. First, why is the CIC program so important to so many people? Mike? Um, you know, there's two magnet programs at Poly. There's the PACE program and the CIC program. And traditionally, the CIC program has been sort of the more diverse magnet program, one of the more diverse magnet programs in the city, um, and a chance for kids who live in the Poly neighborhood to take AP classes, um, very high, 100% college acceptance rate. Um, and so there's been a lot of people, including one of the organizers of this uh, petition and the sort of protest movement, who her mom was an undocumented immigrant who grew up on the West Side. She went to Poly CIC. She went to UCLA. She went to Harvard. And that was sort of her path up and, and out to a better education. So I actually have several friends who are third generation Long Beach. Um, and so this is actually a big deal for them. So that kind of let me know how important this program is to a lot of people. But typically when we're talking about, especially school districts, these kind of things are done in private. They don't really leak out into the public till it's too late. So how did this become public knowledge? Um, and how did the community find out about this? Uh, well, it really centered around the CIC facilitator, uh, Jeff Anui, who'd been there for, for a very long time. And, uh, you know, word, word came down that you know, that he was no longer going to be involved with the program, which I think raised a lot of eyebrows. And so there's, you know, there was some different stories about uh, what happened, you know, and then people were, parents were told that that he was stepping down to spend more time with his family. And, you know, when, when we talked to, to Jeff for the story, that, that wasn't the case, you know, and so his position had been, had been downsized and that, that was going to, you know, necessarily change the, the way the program was structured and the way it looked uh, by not having that facilitator. And, um, at that point, you know, there were there were some rumblings and, and there had been meetings between uh, teachers and, and district members where they knew that, you know, there was, you know, talk of uh, adjustments to the program and um, possibly taking away the, the the magnet distinction that, you know, has kept CIC and PACE both at Poly has been, you know, leading academic programs in the city and, and really nationwide. So was the downsizing of his position the first sign that they were trying to do away with this program? Yeah, I think that's what, you know, we talked to a number of students uh, who, when the students heard, they were all kind of like, well, this is a guy who's really beloved, you know, that everyone in that program uh, feels really strongly about. So I think the students heard it. A group of parents really started pushing for more information at that point, started hearing from a ton of the teachers that we also spoke with saying, yeah, we've been in meetings where they're saying this program's done or this program is not going to be a magnet program going forward. Um, and that's what really sparked it into the national conversation. 
Um, Anais Lopez, who we interviewed for both of our stories about this for the Post, um, she started a petition at that point to sort of bring a little bit more light to what was going on. And um, and then the parents really got after it. I mean, you know, I, I couldn't believe the amount of when we began doing interviews, the amount of emails and documentation they had about what they'd been told. And as a reporter, um, you just start to see these different stories about what's happening and who's doing what and, and why. And you just immediately go, well, hold on. You know, if everything's above board here, then why are people being told three different stories from three different people? And the, and the protests work. I mean, that's, an, that's another thing. I mean, the, the pressure was definitely felt um, by the presence, not just of the actual physical protest uh, that took place outside the school board meeting, but also, you know, the, the petition as well. So, the, you know, the community definitely made their voice heard and, and it seemed to have an impact on what the district was was doing. I can't help but wonder, though, you just said that they have a 100% college admission rate. So the program is clearly working. Why downsize it at all? I think there's sort of, um, we got into this in the story, you know, there's sort of this feeling, I think, among some people in the school district that, you know, Poly gets kind of extra benefits. And it is the only high school with these two magnet or specialized programs on campus. Um, most of the high schools just have one or none. And so I think there's a feeling among some people in the district, it appears, you know, no one wants to talk about it on the record, obviously, that um, Poly should have one program just like Wilson or Milliken or wherever else. Um, and so the district sort of initially came out and said, well, the number of applicants for these programs has gone down. Um, but then when we sort of push for numbers on that, it turns out the applications for all these programs across the city have gone down. So whether that's because more kids are going to private schools, whether it's because, as the district points out, they're in declining enrollment, so all the numbers are going down. Um, that's a different story. We haven't gotten into that. But um, those are sort of the justifications that were being put out there for potential changes. Now, like I said, I have a friend that lives in Long Beach, and her feeling was this specific program really benefits black and brown communities. So she was taking it very personal, like this might be some racial tension. Did you guys interview people that felt the same? Yeah, I mean, a, a ton of the parents we spoke with, that was sort of their thing, was um, historically, if you look at the different magnet programs in the city, like CSC absolutely has been one of the most diverse programs in the city. And so for, like, we interviewed a ton of kids we covering sports, which is primarily what we do. Um, CIC has sort of always been the athlete's magnet. I mean, Willie McGinnis was in CIC, like a, a lot of really prominent, Ariana Washington, who is an Olympian um, that we covered out of Poly. And they would all talk about that, like, it was a magnet program that it wasn't the most rigorous magnet program like the pace program. It allowed you the time to train for sports. And as such, it's got a wider pool of people who are in it. And yeah, it's absolutely one of the more diverse programs. And I think that's a big part of why there's been so much emotion. I think that kind of surprised some of the people in the school district that there was that much emotion. But this is a program that has been around for almost 40 years that has absolutely connected with, you know, with black students and with Hispanic students and Cambodian Asian students in the community saying, well, this one's for us. You know, why would you cut this? Well, and and building off Mike's point, you know, we, we talked to uh, to Willie McGinnis for uh, when we wrote the the book, the uh, Scholars and Champions, the History of Long Beach Poly. And, and one of the quotes that, that he gave us that really stood out was his experience being in CIC and being in a, a diverse program on a diverse campus really set him up for success in life. And that's why he was so excited to send his daughter, uh, his daughter Riley to, to Polly, and she's going to go on and be a volleyball player at USC. So, um, you know, we see other athletes as well, like Miles Johnson, who was a, a huge story in the NCAA tournament with Rutgers, you know, as an engineering student there, um, you know, and he came through the CIC magnet. And so there's just all these, you know, 
examples of, you know, poster child, really, of, of what you'd want from the, from the academic experience, you know, where you can be an elite athlete, but also have, you know, goals in the classroom as well. And so, you know, we, we saw CIC kind of as a, a great personification for that. I'm surprised that you said the school district was surprised by the outrage of this, because obviously with this history that this program has, did they expect it to go away quietly? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, and I, I really don't have the answer to that. Certainly, <laughs> we've, we've been surprised. But I would say that having covered school districts or public entities, um, the way you know that they're surprised is that there was not a company line about it. There was mm. every different level of administration was telling these parents and teachers a different story, which tells me, OK, this is something they thought was sort of going to be done without a big bright light shining on it. Um, because otherwise you, you have all those ducks in a row, right? You have your answers to those questions. You're not saying, well, the facilitator stepped down because he wants to spend more time with the kids without it occurring to you that, well, he's probably going to tell people that that's a lie. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm surprised because it certainly didn't surprise us that people were so upset about it. Um, but it, it does appear whether it was just that different levels of the administration didn't know that this was happening um, it, it obvious, obviously was not sort of planned out and it certainly didn't go according to whatever the plan was. Well, and I think you, I think you spoke about it earlier, the, the multi-generational part of it, you know, and there's a lot of people who went through the CIC program who their younger siblings are going through it or their, their sons or daughters are going through it, you know, and I think that there is that strong connection, you know, that you know, CIC has been around for, for four decades, you know, and so there's, there, there's people there that that program's really meaningful for them and, and maybe the district didn't necessarily see that level of importance beyond just a conventional, oh, this is the high school program you're in. And, and I think that they're seeing now that that really CIC and PATHS are more than just programs you're in at your high school. You know, they, they have a lot of real significance to families in, in Long Beach. Absolutely. And Tyler, you said that the protest and the pet petition, it actually worked. How did it work? How did that change the mind of the school district? Well, I mean, the district uh, was definitely said that they are not uh, <laughs> making any changes for this school year. So, you know, CIC will continue uh, as a, a magnet, a specialized program uh, in the district's verbiage um, into this next school year. So it's at least a temporary reprieve. And there's, you know, discussions with, you know, what to do as far as, um, you know, um, with Jeff Anui's position as the facilitator and, and possibly maintaining what had already been in place. And so, um, but, but we could certainly tell just based on the, the statements that the district was making that they heard from the community. And that was definitely now sort of steering their, um, their movement going forward. But at the very least, they know, hey, the people are informed about this, they're watching, and they have a pretty clear opinion about what they want out of the program. Do you think that's a long-term fix? Like, did they hear them to the point where they understand the importance of this and now the community can relax? Or do you think they need to stay on top of this to make sure this program stays around? I, I think it's it's really difficult because they were never upfront about what they were planning in the first place. So it's a little bit like we heard behind the scenes, hey, these are the things that are being planned. And then we've heard behind the scenes, okay, they're going to leave it alone. But you know, you know, I think in talking to, and we, we interviewed we spent a month basically interviewing people nonstop for this story. And in talking to the parents, it's pretty clear that um, they're going to remain very vigilant and invested. I, I think <laughs> some of the parents are kind of radicalized about like school district transparency, to be right. honest with you. That was just like, you know, I, we had a number of people who, as Tyler mentioned, it's like they went through the program, their kids went through the program and they're like, I'm going to be watching this until my grandkids are <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. in high school because they just sort of don't have a level of trust. Um, which for me, I think that was the deeper story. You know, the CIC program is important, but 
what was really shocking to me is this is a school where parent groups advocated for these programs to be formed 40 years ago. And there was this level of trust between the school board and the school district and these parents that now it's kind of difficult to figure out how do they go about rebuilding that when everybody that we spoke with, whether it was a student or a teacher or a parent, felt strongly that they'd been lied to, to their face by a number of different people. Hmm. That's got to hurt. That's got to sting a little bit. I, it, it was it stung <laughs> enough that we had, a you know, teachers go on record who said, I'm worried about retribution. There are a ton of teachers who talked to us and said, I, I don't want my name on record, but I'm willing to talk to you because that's how upset I am. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it really you, you said it perfectly. It struck a nerve with a lot of people for sure. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see how you guys cover this in the future. And I'm hoping that they really did hear and and decide to keep this program because I just I still I'm stuck on the 100% college admission. I just don't know why you would do away with a program like this. Seems a little odd to me. Questions they're not asking, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're here. That's why we're here, and I'm so thankful that you guys are here on our very first podcast. Congratulations! So thank you yeah, so it's an honor. It's it awesome. Yeah, it's so, super exciting for us. Yeah, absolutely. my yeah. very first guest too. I'm, we're just doing first all around History. here. I'm so excited History to have you guys here. Yes. Started right here, baby. Right. And they will be back because obviously we've got to cover this. And, and I just like them because we're sports fans together. So we've got yeah. a lot to talk about. So you guys stay with us because up next we're going to tell you a fun way that you can relieve some stress this weekend. We'll be right back. Free tickets to the Long Beach Juneteenth celebration are available online now at lbjuneteenth.com. An in-person festival featuring music, food, art, poetry, dance, culture, and more on historic Pine Avenue in downtown Long Beach. Saturday, June 19th from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. Free ticket registration and more event information available online at lbjuneteenth.com. Welcome back to The Word on Long Beach. Once again, I am Jackie Ray, and I'm excited to tell you about two very different events that are happening here in Long Beach. The first is an event that is happening this weekend called The Stress-Free Experience. It is happening this Saturday at 1924 West Willow Avenue from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. The event was created by Antoine Gant in hopes of targeting the stigma of mental health in the Black community. He joined me earlier this week to talk about how the event came to be. Take a listen. So this is a very unique way to raise awareness about mental health. So can you tell me a little bit about how you came up with this specific concept? Um, so it, it started, it stemmed from uh, a murky background, uh, needless to say. Uh, my mother, she passed away about two years ago um, due to mental health illnesses. Um, she had a... Also, she had a heart murmur and she had a um, she had a couple of seizures that she suffered. <clears throat> and um, with her passing, I decided to go ahead and and honor her memory was in order to keep it alive was just to do some mental health awareness initiatives to bring awareness to our people, especially our black people um, in local communities and let them know that, you know, we're here for you. We're here to provide information that you, you otherwise won't receive anywhere else. And we'll want to do it at a in a fun environment. I like how you said specifically our communities, the black community specifically, I feel does struggle with mental health. Why do you think we have such this yeah. stigma in the black community regarding mental health? Um, I think it has a lot to do with race issues um, that's been just programmed into us ever since we were born. Um, personally, I feel that 
if somebody tells you enough, okay, well, you don't have to really stress about these things. You shouldn't have to react to certain things like this because we are are people. We just don't react to certain things like this. And I think people just accept it. And um, if we do try to express it in any other type of way, we get shamed for it, um, especially through our community. Uh, for whatever reason, you get labeled as being weak or you know, you're just not strong-willed of a person to endure certain situations. And it's not necessarily that. It's just certain people handle situations differently than others. Um, and I just feel like if they're, if they're just given the information needed in order to combat that, then they'll be able to, you know, outperform and outdo anybody else's other expectations, you know, that's been pl placed on them. And then this is the only way that I can think of it, me being a DJ, uh, me being a part of the hip hop community. Um, I feel like, you know, a lot of events that, that are, you know, compared to these, they, people just think, okay, this is just going to be a boring, informative day. And, you know, we get this little information, some stuff that's just going to go in one ear and out the other. And that's it. It's like, no, let's go ahead and let's have a good time. Let's have a ball. And then in the mix of all that, let me hit you a little bit of information, <laughs> you know, something that can help you out. And so hopefully, you know, it's, it's successful in that sense. Cause um, I mean, I'm not here for monetized purposes whatsoever. This is just something that I know I got to do out of the kindness of my own heart and just spread it as much as possible for my mom. And so, I mean, if, if this is the way to do it, it is. If not, I'll re-switch it up and revamp it. I don't know, but we're going to figure it out, though. We're going to get our people involved. <laughs> are you are you happy to see the, the pivot towards making mental health kind of at the forefront of, the, of our conversation? Yes, very, very excited. Um, like you said, it's very stigmatized Ill, illness. And um, for some reason, like not just with our community, but worldwide, it's very looked at like just being a weak illness that something body can just, you know, stop from happening, which is not the case. And so, yes, it is a relief to actually see people talk about it more. Um, not only athletes, but artists, hip hop artists. Um, I know a lot of influencers have been speaking a lot about it. You know, um, our society nowadays are more open to expressing themselves freely as to oppose as when we were growing up. And so seeing that shift has been allowing people to speak out more about it. And um, I just want to keep that initiative up and to try to spread it as much as possible. So tell me about this event specifically. Um, when, when people come out to this, what can they expect to see? Oh, some everything. <laughs> that they'll never see any type of other event. Uh, we have live demonstrations occurring there. Um, we have a live uh, yoga yoga instructor that's going to be giving out a live class. Um, we have a live sound healing presentation that we're going to be presenting. Um, and also we have guest panels um, with professionals throughout the industry that's going to be speaking about mental health awareness. And we also have live performers, as well as most of the vendors are going to be innovative products and our services that are available within the industry that's going to be presented to the, throughout the community as well. And it will be covered by Simply Screen, which is a COVID-free testing um, company. And so we'll be providing free COVID testing prior to entering the event just to make sure that our consumers are well, you know, safe and taken care of. What is one of the most innovative um, products you're going to share with the community that specifically address mental health? So we have one guy, um, his name is Dr. George. He's pretty much um, going to be facilitating a stem cell research program that he's been developing for the past several years and explaining the ins and outs to it and how that's going to eventually help autistic um, individuals throughout the process of, of, healing, of healing. Is there a fee for it or is it free? Oh yes, five bucks. 
So yeah, we're not trying to hurt your pockets. We want you guys to go ahead and spend your $5 on Groupon, come out, have a great event, have some good food, good music. And yeah, and just give as much information as you possibly can. So now with what you said you went through with your mom, how how fulfilling is this moment in time for you to see this come to fruition? It's scary. I'm not gonna lie. Um, you know, like I, I'm a mom's boy. Uh so like my whole thing of me growing up has just always been to make my mom proud any way possible. So I think like my biggest fear about this is not succeeding. And so I think that's the main emotions that I'm going through right now. Cause I've done like events in the past, but nothing like solely on my own and for this type of purpose. And so I think that's the, yeah, I'm excited, but you know, mixed up emotions about it. It makes me sad cause I got to think about my mom and express, you know, something personal within me, but you know, it needs to be done. Is this like your mental health release doing this event? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Again, the event is happening this Saturday, June 5th at 1924 West Willow Avenue from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. I will be there at one o'clock to take part in that yoga seminar. If you want to know more about the event, you can visit thestressfreeexperience.com. But now we are going to talk about an event that will definitely appeal to you foodies. It is the inaugural Long Beach Burger Week that happens August 1st through the 8th. And joining me now is Terry Henry to talk about this. Are you excited about this? Jackie, thank you for having me. Thank uh, you for so being exciting. Here. Who doesn't love a good burger? I gotta say, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I'm a little excited about this. <laughs> can you hear it in my voice? Yes. I mean, that uh, that would be my last meal, honestly, a bacon cheeseburger with Swiss Ooh. and barbecue sauce. But um, yeah, I mean, it's summertime mm -hmm. and the restaurants are now getting back to uh, kind of normal. Kind of normal. Mm -hmm. It's a new normal, mm -hmm. which that term. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, super excited. So we just thought this would be a great way to get some butts into seats. These restaurants have paid a hefty price and have struggled. And we just want to help them um you know, get going again. Yeah. So this is the very first one. It is. Now this, you were doing something else before this, right? Um, I launched the original Long Beach Restaurant Week in 2014 and uh, had a really good run with that and um, just decided to do something a little different this year. And, um, you know, there have been burger weeks across the country, but there has not been one in Long Beach. So, Oh, let's get it going. There's never been a Burger Week in Long Beach. Not that I know. Not since I've been here for 21 years. So, oh, wow. um, so yeah. So, how? What was your first step to get this started? You know, going back a little, a little ways. Back in uh, December, I was awarded uh, a nice grant from the City of Long Beach um, to assist uh, restaurants. Um, and uh, the original idea was to, this was under the nonprofit Long Beach Food and Beverage. And the original idea was to offer zero cost consulting to struggling restaurants, whether it be operations, whether it be marketing, uh, culinary, whatever they needed. So, um, so it started out that way. And then, um, but I also, when I sent in my proposal, I also suggested a citywide culinary event. And that's kind of where Burger Week came from. Okay. So when you say struggling, is it specifically struggling because of the pandemic or just struggling in general? In any way, shape, or form. A lot of it is the pandemic. But, um, you know, especially marketing. So many restaurants, they're not marketers. They're operators, you know. So 
with, um, you know, some marketing and social media experts who could help them out and show them maybe tips and tricks, uh, best practices, that kind of thing. So that, that was probably the biggest request was the marketing and the social media management. Yeah, social media is really difficult to navigate. And I hate it. <laughs> People are so good at it, but it's it's a time suck. I it mean, is. you have to be dedicated. Well, as a consumer of, of good food, I appreciate them focusing on creating good food personally. <laughs> of course. That's the only way you're going to survive. There's so much competition, even, you know, with the unfortunate losses we've had with, you know, restaurants just not surviving. But there's still competition, and, and you have to differentiate yourself. You have to set that bar high, so... So how is this Burger Week going to help them do that? Well, we have so many things planned. Um, some of the things we've done for Restaurant Week in the past, which is always popular and gets some nice media coverage, is we are going to take a bunch of our chefs and we're going to be grilling up burgers and have side items at the Long Beach Rescue Mission on January 27th. Um, the whole idea behind this, we do it every year, is that there are a lot of our neighbors that will not be able to take advantage of Burger Week. So we're going to bring Burger Week to them for the day. Yeah. So it's from the 1st through the 8th. How can restaurants register to be a part of this? If you go to BurgerWeekLB.com, uh, there is a registration page. Uh, registration is only 100 bucks. We were able to keep the registration very, very low thanks to the city of Long Beach. Thank you very much. Um, this year anyway, and there is kind of a, a, a questionnaire form for different media opportunities, uh, whether it's radio uh, interviews, whether it's uh, many restaurants, which I love this part, uh, many restaurants will have burger dog menus for, oh. our, for our fur babies here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're going to be doing some promotion on that. Uh, we have a VIP launch party coming up the end of July, which I don't have the exact dates for that yet. Um, you know, some of these restaurants, the chef-driven restaurants, are doing these over-the-top burgers, whether it's topped with truffle brie or oh. topped with Fritos or, you know, four-stacked patties or something like that. That will be more the chef-driven restaurants. Uh, the more casual restaurants will have their existing burger menu offered, but at a value price, or um, the price points are five, ten, fifteen, twenty, and twenty-five dollars. So, say they have a fourteen-dollar me- uh, burger on their menu, they will have it at ten dollars for that week. Okay, so in my head, when I hear Burger Week, I hear a week of vendors out on the street where I can just go and get their burger. Nope. This is not that. Nope, this is not a festival. This is dine-in. Because we want to get these, we want to get people dining in the restaurants at this point. Right. So, and that's a big deal right now, specifically to get people back in. Because yep. I think we're slow to kind of get back in the the swing of things with getting back out. Yeah. And takeout and delivery will be offered too. Okay. So, you know, for because I know some people are still a little a little hesitant. You know, they're still a little nervous about getting out there. But um, so, yeah, any any and all ways to get to get sales for these restaurants and and just keep them in business, keep them surviving. Yes, because that's unfortunate. Um, This pandemic has unfortunately caused a lot of people to go out of business. 
Um, so do very you sad. see that it's very, very sad and it's unfortunate because a lot of these, especially the ones that are going out of business are the smaller ones, the mom and pop yep. ones. And that's the unfortunate thing of, about this whole situation. So do you see this being, I know this is the first one, but do you see this going long term? I hope so. Honestly, between you and me and anybody else that's listening, <laughs> I, guess, I mean, I would love to do a Long Beach taco week, mm. you know, a Long Beach sushi week. I mean, just because I know there are some restaurants, a lot have burgers on their menu, but there are some that don't. So I, I want to, you know, incorporate, just get everybody involved in some way or another with some event. Yeah. So that's the hope. Yes, I agree. And I, I definitely hope this is the first of many. I do too. Yeah, because it's going to be great. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And once again, where's, what's the website where they can register? Go to burgerweeklb.com. Uh, once all the menus are up, uh, that's where the foodies can go and see where they want to dine. And we hope to see them dining out all eight days of the week of Burger Week. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. And again, you foodies, you already know where to go because I know this is going to be great for you to get back out into the city and get some good food. So stay with us because coming up next, we're going to meet the staff. You're going to meet a member of the Long Beach Post. It's going to be great. Stay with us. Did you know Long Beach is the growing hub for rocket manufacturing and spaceflight companies? Dozens of startups are setting up shop here, bringing thousands of jobs and millions of dollars in investment. So why is Long Beach the community of choice for the booming space industry? Find out why on June 17th at Accelerate Long Beach, the quarterly economic forum hosted by the Long Beach Economic Partnership. Tickets available now at lbep.org accelerate or search online for Accelerate Long Beach for free registration. Welcome back to The Word on Long Beach. I'm your host, Jackie Ray. I'm excited for this segment because this segment is Meet the Staff. And aside from me, we are going to be talking to Long Beach North, your North Side reporter, right? Sebastian Echeverry is here with us. Welcome to our very first Meet the Staff episode. Are you excited? This is exciting. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We kind of bonded really quickly. He covers a lot of topics that I'm also passionate about. But before we get into all of that, I just want to know a little bit about your background. So where are you from originally? Well, um, born in, I would say born and raised a lot in, in Downey. Downey's really where I grew up. Uh, there was a brief moment where I, I lived in Highland Park a little bit with my family, but we moved back to Downey and I've I've been there ever since. Um, my family, uh, both parents are Colombian, like 80 to 90 percent of my family is still over there. So I uh, love to you know, visit back to the homeland and uh, reconnect with old uncles, aunts and stuff. But um, yeah, I went to school in Cerritos, uh, college, community college, and then from there transferred to Cal State Long Beach, where, yes. I, where I studied more journalism. How often do you get back home? You know, there was a good moment back when I was in high school or every summer break, every oh, year, actually. Uh, and it was very cool, very humbling to experience, you know, that um, my family comes from like a background of like coffee farming. Mm -hmm. So going to those farms and, and kind of seeing how life is still very rural and whatnot. And it was it was very cool. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I didn't even get to go. So I love that. So you, you majored in journalism, obviously. So what was your road to get to the Long Beach Post? Um, it, it was a lot of, a lot of hard work. Um, so when I, my first journalism gig, I was also actually my first gig, I guess I was working uh, as a sales retail mm -hmm. associate. Um, and I worked there for a couple of years while, while, while going to school. And I had a friend of mine also in the journalism, the school of newspapers, the Talmarks. 
he got an internship at the Signal Tribune newspaper, small newspaper in Signal Hill. And he went there, and one time he was covering, he was assigned to cover the Queen Mary Dark, Dark Harbor, I believe. It's like the spooky season. And he had a, he had a, uh, they gave him a press, a press pass, but he also gets like a plus one. He's like, hey man, do you want to come with me and kind of see what I do? And I was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. And I remember going, and we were in this like little cool like press booth where they give you like a like complimentary drink and like a snack, and you get to walk the mazes. And he's like shooting film, and I'm thinking, dude, this is your job? This is so cool. And he's like, yeah. And I asked him, hey, you know, well, you know, you and I were, were, we go to school together, but if there's ever an opening at your paper, let me know. And sure enough, a couple of weeks later, uh, they were looking for a city uh, city council reporter for Signal Hill City Council. And I remember I tried out. It was a bit of a tryout. You go and then you pretend like you, you go and you cover it. And then you give that story to the editor. It's a dummy story. Mm-hmm. It's probably not going to get published, but the editor looks it over and kind of d- determines. So there's a couple of classmates that also competed with me, I guess, because he let a couple of people know and he let me know. And I didn't get the gig. Uh, ah. Someone else got it. However, That's not how I saw the story ending. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get it. However... The, the, the editor uh, at the time, Corey Billico, he, he told me, you know, Sebastian, I kind of do like still how you write. Uh, do you mind sticking around as a freelancer? And when you're in college and you're studying journalism, but you're working in sales retail, you're like anything. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And little by little, as more staffers like left, they went on to other things. I got deeper and deeper into the company. They started, I wasn't a freelancer anymore. I was part-time. Then from part-time to full-time. Um and then at one point, I got an internship at NBC, and I went there for four months. It was a great experience um, going from a super small, hyper-local newspaper to a massive it's a culture shock, <laughs> company. Right? Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's that. It's, you get lost, and you're just, a, you're just a cog in the machine at that point. You're just kind of in there. Um, but I was at the Long Beach Post while working with the Signal Tribune. You start figuring out who the big players are. I was like, oh, there's the Press Telegram. They're, they're big, right? They're known. And then also the Long Beach Post it kept coming up. So I always thought, um, like, oh, you know, it'd be cool to, to see if I can kind of get their attention at some point. And I did. And um, I, I started kind of communicating with the reporters on the field. I met some and then in general just kind of hanging out with some of them. But it wasn't until that was uh, they told me, hey, there's going to be this grant opportunity. Uh, you should try, you know, try out for it. It was the Report for America grant opportunity. I signed up. I went to the interview, and uh, both the Report for America and the Post came to an agreement. It's like, okay, you know, Sebastian will be your your RFA member, and that's how I got here last year. That's a good story. <laughs> so you are you had already eyed the Long Beach Post, and then it just came to fruition. Yeah, you know, when you when you work in the area, you start seeing your competitors at the time. And at the time, a competitor was the Post, and um, but you know, they just seemed. Um, well, the signature community is small and like very like not known. The posts seem like bigger and faster and more up to date. And when you're a young journalist learning about in school, they teach you all like the new tech stuff coming up in journalism. And you kind of see that being reflected at the post. All right. So what is one of your craziest stories you've covered? How long have you been with the Long Beach Post now? It's actually a year, like two days ago. Uh, happy <laughs> Yeah, this is your anniversary show. This is the anniversary show. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) All right, so in the year and two days that you've been here, what's the craziest story that you've covered? Wow, the craziest story, man. It's it's been, I guess it's been a crazy year. The pandemic began while I was still at the Tribune. Okay. And so it's insane to think that when the pandemic started, I was in this newsroom when the first three cases hit Long Beach Mm. because we were supposed to do, this might be a little behind the scenes, uh, stuff. We were supposed to have a Spanish collaboration between the Gazette's newspaper, the Long Beach Post, and the Signal Tribune. We were going to try and do a Spanish um, news 
partnership between the three of us. So for a meeting, I came here with my colleague at the time, Lizette Mendoza. She worked at the Tribune with me. Um, and while we were in here, I remember um, David Summers, the publisher, walks in and says, hey, uh, the Long Beach just announced you know, the first three cases. I don't know if you have to do anything for your publication. And the Tribune being so small, I'm like, the publication is here, so might as well get going. So I remember working for the Tribune at the Post newsroom. It was weird, but that was my first kind of like... So then going on from there, it's, it's crazy to think that, oh, this is probably going to boil over soon, right? right. We're going to have this under control. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I join RFA, RFA saying, oh, you know, like... Um, we're going to have a big like team meeting in, in Texas, you know, travel, we're going to travel. All of that obviously went down the drain. Um, so I think just the pandemic coverage of the pandemic and how it influenced everything. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you say the first three cases, because when I'm also new to um, the Long Beach Post, newer, um, I started on May 10th. And in my research of the Long Beach Post, I saw this video on YouTube about how you guys started putting up the sticky notes, uh, the post-it notes. Um, on the on the glass wall for every case. So to hear you say three cases and then to walk in and see almost a full wall is insane. We're getting close to a thousand, I think. That's insane. We're nine hundred something, nine hundred plus. It has literally impacted us all. So yeah, right. While while the rest of the country and parts of the world are still struggling with cases, we're in this weird like transition phase mm-hmm. where June fifteenth coming the big day where apparently everything's supposed to be lifted right. and stuff. To go from that. And, and then just the other things that happened throughout the summer, civil unrest and, and just um, every day was a protest almost. Yeah. And so being out in the streets, marching alongside people and well, walking alongside the marchers, photographing them, listening to them. At one point uh, in Lakewood, we were covering a protest and Lakewood Sheriff's Department showed up in full gear. Mm. And when that happens, there's a bit, you know, there's there could be instigators in the crowd and... It's a bit of a tense situation. Right. Um, it's insane to know that we had left to cover another protest in another part of town. And then we were informed that the one we were just at, the officers had used um, non-lethal projectiles mm. and smoke. We were just there, but we had gone to another protest. And then That's minutes crazy. after we left, apparently all hell went loose. There was videos to show and stuff. Yeah, it's no question that Sebastian and I, he was one of the first people I bonded with here because he he covers a lot of things that I'm very passionate about as well. And you're covering something right now kind of caught my eye as well. And it's Restore Inc., I believe. Yes. Um, I know that was a passion project for you as well. So can you tell us a little bit, little yeah, bit about that? Restore Inc., um, things in society that kind of eventually lead people into lives to be gang related, to be you know in, in that culture. Um, and I met an individual who lived that life was basically incarcerated his entire youth wrongfully apparently i later find out and now that he's out he wants to avoid that he wants to save the next youth to to not let them get incarcerated to track back a little bit i cover north long beach right and so there was this there was a uh this usually happens in the summer or spring we've seen these trends happen where um shootings whether they're gang related or not um determined by the police department, shootings do increase. They spike up in like the spring or summer. So last year that happened. Um, there was a string of shootings in North Long Beach. People were really nervous. People were really kind of asking the city for questions. Are you guys going to address this? What's happening? Um, we covered some of the shootings on the ground and then some of them the next morning in our email inbox. It's like, here's a press release of a shooting. It's like, oh, wow, that happened last night. Um, and so community members that are very prominent in, in, in their neighborhoods and they they host a lot of, you know, 
meetings and whatnot. Um, Shireen Senegal, she's a prominent um, North Long Beach um, resident who kind of like is involved in a lot of like community help groups and things like that. She has this nonprofit called Ronnie's House. Um, it's in dedication to her husband Ronnie, who who died as a as a result of gun violence. She has been dedicating her life to kind of um, address that and mm -hmm. find solutions to it. So she called in a bunch of people from city leaders, councilmen, to um, um, other people involved in, in similar things that she's working in uh, working on to address gun violence. And in there, in that meeting, I I heard testimony from a, a priest um, who was talking about, you know, living in, in, in a community where gang violence sometimes happens and, and how it affects them and stuff. So I wanted to follow up with him. When I reached out to him, he told me, you know what, Sebastian, you, you should try talking to two individuals that are more like they have been, they were former gang members. Like they have been in it. They probably have a better understanding of this problem than I do. And that's when he introduced me to Miguel Lugo, who he was jumped into a gang at the age of nine. Oh, wow. Um, on the in the Washington neighborhood, right across the street from Washington Middle School, um, he was jumped into a, a Latino gang, and um, you know he was wrongfully convicted for a shooting case back in I can't recall the it had to be like nineteen eighty something to nineteen ninety something around there, and he was convicted and he spent I think almost he was going to go twenty twenty to life I think and he spent about sixteen years to eighteen oh. years in prison until. He appealed his case. Um, through his appeal, he was able to kind of earn his freedom back, and he finally got out. But he said that when he was in there, he he took a lot of time to think and to say, you know what, this isn't the life that I want to live, and I want to stop the next wrongfully convicted kid or some kid that just gets wrapped up in his life and then ends up doing bad stuff and goes to prison. So he went to Homeboy Industries to remove a bunch of tattoos, gang-related tattoos, that he was once proud to have, but he's a different person. While he's there at Homeboy Industries trying to uh, kind of get these tattoos off, he runs into Jose Osuna, uh, who, who, who's the kid who jumped him in to the gang, oh. a fellow, fellow former gang member who is in a suit and tie. He's in an executive desk. And so it, it's uh, crazy to hear how when he saw him, he was like, oh, crap, this guy found me. I haven't written to him when he was in prison. He might be upset with me. And it turns out, no, he, met, he told him, hey, man, you know, I'm a changed person. Can you help me? And the two kind of met again. And this time, how Jose kind of jumped him into a gang. This time, he jumped him into Homeboy Industries oh, to wow. help him kind of like um, through therapy sessions, through talking about uh, incarceration, like re-entering this, like when you're incarcerated, re-entering society. So the objective with Restore Inc., Restore um, Kinship, is, is basically that. Take, take what Homeboy Industry does in L.A. County. And bring it to Long Beach, and so they've been trying to, you know, uh, contact former incarcerated people, asking them what they need, and kind of giving them therapy sessions and things like that. So that was a very um, in-depth story that I remember going to the Washington neighborhood. He kind of walked me around the neighborhood and said, you know, yeah, I, I, this is where I got jumped in. So and so was shot over there. You know, the crack houses used to be here, and it's an understanding of a neighborhood historically that's, you know been going through that rough time. You do a lot of stories where people literally have to open up their hearts and their lives to you. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> is that sometimes overwhelming? Sometimes is it a, is it a lot? It is. It <laughs> is a little overwhelming. Because um, I'm a person that I replay conversations over and over in my head. And so 
another recent example of that, looking at the wall with the sticky notes, we, when, we were tr when we were tracking COVID deaths, uh, we wanted to put a face to the number, right? Mm. So I remember I was assigned to find a victim of, oh. of COVID. There was a GoFundMe page for someone who said my uncle died because of COVID, uh, um, Anthony Ranghill. They have had other deaths in the family, not so much related to, well, actually, no, one was related to COVID. It was an uncle. You know, right. you, you have to approach them with empathy. I know that I'm the last person they probably want to talk to. Right. I'm the last, and I understand that. So when I have that, their phone number ready and I got to give them a call, I just stare at that phone for a bit because I'm like, oh, man. Like, I put myself in their shoes. Like, would, would I want to talk to a reporter right now? It wasn't until after that story published, I got an email, I think, from Rang, uh, Anthony's, uh, Angel's um, niece. She told me, she's like, Sebastian, you know, thank you so much. You know, you allowed me to kind of uh, come to terms with it. Yeah, see, moments like that will stick with you, too, though. Yeah. So that's a good moment. And well done. You're doing a great job at the Post. Happy anniversary. <laughs> um, I had no idea. This is just so random. I did, had no idea. I promise. It's not set up, you guys. I had no idea. This is his one-year anniversary. But this is our first episode or our first segment of Meet the Staff. And I'm so glad that you sat with me, Sebastian. We've learned a lot. And it's good to know. I think the people should know that the reporters here, they actually really do care a lot about this city and a lot about the people who dwell within it. So well done, sir. And with that, we have completed our very first episode of The Word on Long Beach. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Make sure you are back here next Friday. Once again, I'm Jackie Ray for The Long Beach Post, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>